Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. We all know that this year has definitely been a challenging one to say the least. And my guest today is a great example of how to take a problem and create a purposeful business that drives positive change for everyday people. My guest today is Lisa Hollingshead. She's the founder and CEO of One Another Community. Lisa came up with the idea for the business in March this year when she was stranded in Spain with her son and her grandma and worried because flights were grounded due to lockdown. But she found comfort in being surrounded by a family and wanted to create a platform as a result of this for social kindness. So she created One Another, and that is to provide a space for members of local communities to request and offer assistance. The platform connects skilled volunteers from all facets of business with those who need help in their local community, both in response to COVID-19, but more importantly, in a longer-term solution to address the global loneliness epidemic. Members create a profile, get verified, and search tasks on the dashboard of their local area from things like walking a pet, running an errand, or even just a friendly phone call. One another also connects skilled professionals who have pro bono capacity with local community social enterprises and brands in specific areas where they need support. Things like website designs, creative content, marketing, and operations. I'm going to ask Lisa about how founding her business in 2020 ensured an agile and reactive startup that can respond quickly to changes in the environment and why one another's mission to amplify the ripple effect of kindness and empower everyone to make a difference is more important today than it ever has been in the past. So let's get into it. Lisa Hollandshead, welcome to The Mentor. Thank you so much for having me. Manchester. That's right. <laughs> uh, which, which, which of the soccer teams you, or the football teams do you follow? I, I was brought up following United, yeah. but then I went to Liverpool Uni and then I started supporting Liverpool. Oh, so really? I committed to ultimate sin. That is an ultimate sin. <laughs> and now I'm not really bothered at all. So. Do, you, do you follow it all? Not really. No no. no, no. I used to, but I've been here 12 years. So. Oh, yeah? You've still got the accent. Yeah, it's still there, still going strong. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I, I see from the brief here, we've got, you, you've got a, um, you're born in Manchester, UK, we know that. Yeah. You've got a degree in marketing, media and cultural studies. Like, what is that degree? Tell me about that. Uh, marketing, <laughs> are we talking about uh, public relations or what, what, what profession would that drive you into? So I guess um, the degree in media, marketing and cultural studies um, attracts people that either want to work in journalism or uh, TV. 
or publicity or marketing. So it's kind of like gives you a taster of each of them. Yeah. And they encourage you to do, you know, work experience while you're there so you can figure out kind of which area you want to focus on for your final year. So you, you did you do any work experience? I did a lot of work experience, yeah. yeah. Um, I've always um, been, been quite driven and kind of when I set my sights on something, um, I go for it. So I was selected to be a TV YP delegate. What's that um, mean? So basically the Media Guardian did a festival every year in Edinburgh the Media Guardian Edinburgh Television Festival and about 15,000 people applied and they select 100 university students that want a career in TV or publicity to go and attend and just attend workshops and one of the workshops that I attended was with Taylor Herring so one of the account directors at Taylor Herring which is one of the leading entertainment PR agencies there um, and I just thought it was so cool. She did the PR for Robbie Williams. So I was like, oh, okay, I'll go and try and see if I can do that. <laughs> so I cornered her at the end of the session and just said, you know, I'd love to come and, you know, shadow you for a week, come down to London. Um, you know, what do I need to do? So she just gave me a card and said, you know, send me an email and I'll see what I can do. So long story short, I ended up doing my first placement there. And I was actually my first ever show that I worked on was The Apprentice. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, with uh, Sir Allen. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so was, what, what year was that? So that would have been 2004. Because he's now doing the, the Celebrity Apprentice here. Yeah, yeah. I saw that. It's so yeah. surreal because, yeah, like it must be like, what, 15 years ago when I was working on the show and I was really junior, but I used to manage like the Fired Apprentice's media schedule the next day. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, what Lisa just referred to was when when you fire the um, contestant, whatever, the candidate for The Apprentice show, um, the next day, ordinarily, they get them out and they've got to do media because you've got to hold on to them. Uh, otherwise, they go, anything can happen across your water, so you've got to control what, what they say. Absolutely. Well, not control it, but... Yeah, media some, train them. Yeah, <laughs> got to put something around this because, especially in the early stage, because usually the ones that get fired early aren't all that flash. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're big businesses. I mean, you've probably got 50, 100 people on the, on the production of that show. Yeah, it's huge. It really opened my eyes because when I was at university, I thought I either want to work in as a producer in TV or I wanted to do publicity and um, I guess yeah working for Taylor Herring um, I guess it was the best of both worlds because I got to work with the production team whilst also doing PR. It's a massive show in the UK it's it is one of the biggest rating shows in the UK but it's it's a you've got a big audience too you've got a lot more people live in the UK yeah but it's a big deal. Yeah, I mean, it was surreal for it to be my first ever freelance publicity gig, you know, yeah, to totally. go, not even freelance, it was an internship <laughs> to go and work on that. It was quite surreal. And it was the year that it went from BBC Two to BBC One. Right. So it went from a BBC Two kind of educational and um, public service show to a, you know, prime time. Um, yeah, and it's lasted, uh, how long ago was that, would you get? Um, so it would have been 2004, so it's like 15 years, 15 years ago. ago. Yeah, yeah. So that was sort of uh, just kicking off, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, was, yeah, it was the second the season. Stages. Yeah, yeah. So it's really, really early in, in the day. Well, I see, I see that they're doing publicity now around the Celebrity Apprentice here in Australia. I mean, they just started to do a bit of publicity in the last week or so. Yeah. And um, the business of publicity... I think, uh, particularly for television shows, it's not such a big business today, generally speaking, publicity, as except for when you're trying to publicise a TV show or a radio show, for example. People don't use publicists as such these days as much. Yeah, that no, business I sort of died off a bit. 
I def I agree with that. So um, I definitely would say that my experience is more public relations professional. Like I'm an old school PR girl, you know, building relationships with media, um, carving out a hook, you know, building relationships, selling in stories, um, building the assets together, you know, so whether you've got talent or a research piece to build a, a stronger feature. And my experience over the years, I've worked for some of the biggest PR agencies in the world. And my client experiences range from LG Electronics to um, American Express Open Air Cinemas to 20th Century Fox. So, you know, each different um, industry that you work in is very different. And I'd say that publicists lend themselves more readily to um, entertainment. Yeah, I think that's right. And, and when it comes to PR, what, that's very interesting. I mean, people listening here are probably thinking, so, well, I, when do I use a PR agency or when do I use a PR person or when do I just engage in PR myself? And um, Lisa said two really important things. Um, which we'll just might draw down to it a, a little bit, just because you know this is good stuff for um, you know people running businesses. The hook you said, um, you know, like if if you're you're running PR for a business, and that business is seeking to get some publicity on I don't know Triple M radio station tomorrow morning or uh, the Current Affair tomorrow night or wherever, you need this thing called the hook. Yeah. Just explain what that is. So the hook is um, something that makes the audience be interested in it and makes the journalist want to write about it. So well, let's go to the journal. Let's go to the producer. The, yeah, to the produ- let's look at the executive producer of yeah. the show, okay, <laughs> because they're looking for content. Exactly right. So what you explain how you work with that. Yeah, so um, we'll ordinarily have clients come to my PR agency now, Comms 101, and they'll have you know, the holy grail coverage that they want to secure. And sometimes clients get confused between advertorials and you know paid um, gigs and they want to control the messaging and they want to make sure they've got a specific call to action in there. My job is to look at that offering and see where there's a newsworthy hook. So the hook is something that the producer can work with to build a segment or a feature um, that's got context to their readership, but also to the publication as well. Yeah, so you would look at the show, like, like let's say it's Current Affair, you you get the general run of business for Current Affair, you sort of say, well, Current Affair's audience is about this, and maybe Current Affair might be you know, what's currently in the news, yep. and it might be about, um, I don't know, people suffering from COVID or you know, small businesses are suffering or whatever the case may be, and you look for a, your client, you look for a hook that the executive producer of that show who's running a theme either throughout the year or just that week or that month or coming up, you look for a hook that that's something that your client can offer content that's the hook for the executive producer because you do because the executive producer is sitting there every day going, yep. oh, I've got to fill my schedule up every night of the week yep. and I've got to do it every night of the week for the next year. Yep. And they look to people like you to help them out with their content. And not only do you provide them content, you provide them the talent yeah. That, in other words, a person to deliver the content, like perhaps. Like a spokesperson, yeah. yeah. Or maybe a, a family who are suffering and they've got these big solutions turned up for them and they're, and that family appeals to the people who watch the show. Absolutely. You, you just take us through how you might think about this sort of stuff so that just so that our audience here today can say, oh, okay, that's what we mean by a hook. Yeah, absolutely. So we need to break it down into assets like I mentioned previously so you might not – know what an asset is per se. So um, when I'm breaking it down to the client, first of all, we need a spokesperson or an expert that can speak on behalf of the business to to basically demonstrate the the problem that they're trying to solve. And what's the executive producer who's going to buy this hook? Um, what sort of talent they're looking for? I mean, what are they not looking for? Because they don't want yeah. to 
Hello, my name is John. They don't want that. They want the show to be interesting. Absolutely. So personality is a big thing. So media training is a big part of what yeah. we do, you know, so that you can tell a compelling story yeah. um, that people are interested in and want to hear. Um, so it can be either the founder of the business. You Ordinarily, you know, they would be the person that's in the media talking about it that already have maybe a little bit of a pull um, from a publicity perspective. Um, or it could be, say, a ambassador who you've hired to speak on behalf of the brand. So say, for example, if you do the PR for a sunscreen and you have um, a famous model um, that does... Elle McPherson. Elle McPherson. She would be the, a, a great example of talent that an executive producer would love to speak to because their audience would want to hear what correct, she has to say. Correct. And then you also look for a message. So why is the Elle McPherson message about sunscreen relevant to the executive producer at the time? So we could be coming into the summer months and exactly. you might come up with some research about skin cancer. Research is a really great tool and it is a big investment for businesses and organisations to invest into, um, but it's definitely, it brings that return on investment time and time again because executive producers are looking for um, exclusives. They're looking to provide insight that no one else has provided before. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you've got a research piece that provides a, a shocking example, such as 50% of Australians admit to not wearing sunscreen every day. Mm. You know, and then you back that up with the stat that one in two Australians suffer from skin cancer. You can see how you're starting to build the different elements of a story and the the different elements and the assets that can help tell that piece as well. And then if you can say, and by the way, and the reason why they don't wear sunscreen because it's too greasy, but Elle McPherson gets up there for this particular sunscreen company and says, but our sunscreen is not greasy. Exactly. It's right. brand new. You don't even know it's on. Yeah. And, and, and that's whatever. it. We've built a beautiful story there together. No, but, but, that, but, that, but I think that's important for people to know because people don't know what a PR agency does. Absolutely. Or, or where does PR fit into um, promoting my business? Because at the end of the day, you're trying to promote your client's business. And But by the way, the executive producer, all they give a shit about is making sure that their clients, their audience, get something out of this. Yeah. And uh, so there's the sort of different things, but they're sort of the same thing as well. You've got to find that common ground, and that's what agencies do. Yeah or PR should do, is should find the common ground, sell it into the executive producer, but also sell it into the to the client. I mean, because the client's got to get it too. I mean, that's, that is a difficult thing with being a publicist is you are, you have got two sides, you know, that you have to please. So you've got the producer that wants a newsworthy story that the audience are interested in. So they can build a really strong segment or feature, but you've also got the client that wants to talk about the special offer that they've got or yeah, a, new, totally. a new product. So you need to find a, a good balance between the two uh, and be a great communicator. Like communication is so key in publicity and managing expectations as well. Um, you know, I don't believe in promising the world. You know, PR is very much reliant on relationships, understanding the media that you're selling into um, and, yeah, just m- making the client aware. So, so in your job in your day-to-day business, as opposed to what we're going to talk about in a moment, um, which is called One Another Community. We'll talk about that in a moment. But in your job as a PR person, how important is it for you to know the executive producers? Because at the end of the day, I mean, people don't know this, but executive producers are getting PR stuff thrown at them on the email. They've got a pile of Mm -hmm. press releases and they're thinking, oh, my God. And it's just like the way we look through our Instagram. We just keep moving our, our stories along. We just keep flicking. That's exactly what I'm right. Well, that's the same as, as an, an executive producer in a show. Um, is it important to know the executive producer of radio shows and newspapers and do you have to take them to lunch? Do you take them for a beer? Do you send them pre- – I mean, what do you do? Like, yeah. How do you get to know them? 
I think you cannot underestimate how important relationships are in PR. A lot of people think that they can buy a media list, for example, that's got the list of the executive producer and the email, and they think that they can just send a press release over or a pitch and that it'll be strong enough on merit. I mean, 15 years ago when I started in PR, we were taught to hit the phones. You know, mm. we were on the phone all day, every day selling in. I was selling into London media. You know, they were they were off the hook all day. So you had to get their attention straight away. So what we used to do 15 years ago is take them out for a dinner. Mm. Um, you know, we'd go down to London, we'd do what we called a media tour. So we'd book... Piss up. Basically, yeah. <laughs> we'd, uh, we'd book back-to-back meetings all day um, with media where we'd take um, samples from our clients or yeah. we'd we'd ask them if they wanted to come on a press trip with an airline that I represented at the time. You know, do you want to come for a week to Antigua? You know, it's not a hard thing to sell in yeah, sometimes. Yeah. But yeah, it absolutely is essential to being a good publicist with salespeople at but the end you, of the how day. You, how did you do it during the COVID period? Like, so, we you know, we got a a lockdown. Mm-hmm. Um, where were you during that period? So I actually um, was in Spain back in March. Were you on holidays? Um, yeah, I won a trip to Berlin yeah. um, and my mum lives in Spain. So yep. I decided to sandwich a trip in between. Uh, so you and your mum? I was with my mum, my little boy and my 89-year-old grandma. And um, your grandmother? Yeah. So in Spain? She, she lives there, yeah. So me yep. and my little boy visited and uh, the day after we arrived, the lockdown, stage five oh, lockdown wow. hit Spain. So we had, you know. What, when was that? What month was that? Because Spain March. got, yeah, you, you, Spain sort of got it pretty bad. Yes. They def- when I landed in Berlin, um, Italy shut down. Right. Um, and then I, I landed in Spain, had one night in the plaza in Villa Martin with my mum, my family and my granny. And then the next day we got um, an announcement that we had to be home for midnight and we wouldn't be able to So leave. when you say you had to be home, um, so, so what actually happened? Like Spain said you had to get out. No, no, so it, everyone that was there was told they had to go home. My mum's best friend runs a bar um, and she got a text from like basically the government saying that you need to shut shop at 12 for the foreseeable future. And, the, and we got an announcement on the news that everyone had to be home by midnight. And it was, home by midnight means back in your hotel room. Yeah, if you were on holiday, you had to be back in the hotel room. Right. If you were, if you lived there, you had to be home. So you had back, back home at mum's home. Yeah, it was basically Spain. the same as what Melbourne has got now. It's stage yeah. five. You couldn't leave unless, you couldn't even leave for exercise. The only reason you could leave was to go to the shops to get groceries or to go to the pharmacy to get supplies. Right. So you're stuck in Spain for how long? I was. It ended up actually only being a day longer than what I was supposed to be because I acted quickly because I had a, a feeling that this inevitably was going to come to Australia and the flights were getting grounded daily. So I booked a Qatar flight that went from Manchester via Doha so to Sydney. So you had Sydney. to get back to Manchester? I had to drive for five hours to Valencia Airport to fly to Manchester, have a night in Manchester with my dad, and then, yeah, come back with Albi via Doha, which was the most daunting experience because literally people were in hazmat suits getting on the plane. Because Yeah, it was ridiculous. Like, I mean, you say it's ridiculous, I understand the fear, but it was to get onto a plane with your little boy, who was three at the time, and be surrounded by people that literally had face masks on with um, balaclavas on, with goggles. Really? It was, it was surreal. That's freaky. Um, and... Your business back here in Sydney was about public relations and you just said meeting people <laughs> and, uh, you know, taking them for a beer or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, what affected the Sydney lockdown? It's not as severe as everywhere else, but what, what effect did that have on you? In your business? It had a lot of an effect on many people's businesses in PR. Um, at the beginning of the lockdown in Sydney, I actually lost my client base due to COVID. A lot of a lot of clients were pulling back budgets, you know, didn't want to invest in PR. Um, but a lot of my friends that, that had clients that remained, um, they really struggled to get coverage and build relationships because 
the media landscape was changing daily as well. So not only was I losing clients and many other PR agencies losing clients, the media landscape was shrinking daily. So um, yeah, existing relationships were, were thin on the ground. All new people were sort of moving into the roles that, that you used to talk to. Exactly right. And the people, yeah, that we built relationships with were either made redundant or um, were setting up their own outlet, whether it be a podcast or a website. Um, so yeah, it was it was hard because we were having to build those relationships and really really carve out the hook um, yeah. to ensure that we that we got the attention um, of the producers and the journalists that no doubt were having the inbox flooded. But at the same time, I also have a website called social101.com, which is it's like a Sydney what's on guide um, for people that are new to the city or want to know what's going on. And I noticed a severe decline in the number of pitches that I was getting. Really? Yeah, you mentioned before about, you know, the press releases stacking up and I'd get up to 500 press releases a day. So I have the fortune of being able to see it from the other side. So I see how it gets flooded and how you need to stand out. But it went from 500 a day to about 10 a day. Wow. So that might be a good indicator of economic activity to some extent. Um, And I guess that was probably also the case for executive producers of radio shows because a lot of them weren't even coming in. They were, they were yeah. operating from home. I mean, Absolutely. a lot of the radio shows are being done from home. I saw, I mean, I, I see lots of um, television journalists as well. Um, you can see that they're doing stuff from home. I mean, they, they do come to studios, but a lot of the the uh, finance guy yeah. on, a, on a TV news show, mm. he would do his segment or her segment, they'll do it from home. Absolutely. Um, so it, it's hard to, it's actually hard to get to anyone, like, uh, and particularly in person. Yeah, it did make the job a lot a lot trickier. Um, but I I guess because I had the amazing opportunity to set up my new tech startup. So it's the one another community. Yeah, this um, is the this is the one we want to talk about. So this is yeah. your so but because uh, I want to know when you say you had the amazing opportunity to do it. One another community was set up during this period, yep. It was actually set up when I was stranded in Spain. So right. the day after I arrived, the lockdown started and I just had a feeling that inevitably this was going to come to Australia, there was going to be a lockdown. I saw all the news reports of, you know, the toilet rolls being sold out and people, elderly citizens not being able to get their essentials. And I just thought there has to be a solution here. And I'm a member of the Sydney Startup Facebook group. And I just did a shout out, you know, to say I've got an idea for a social kindness platform where people can help one another, you know, just on a volunteer basis to bring communities together who's in. You did that on what, day three of being uh, locked in in Spain? Yeah, it was yeah. day three. It was day li- three. Yeah, so I was, um, yeah, just with my granny and I just felt so fortunate that she had me and it, it just, I guess it was upsetting and confronting that. What made, yeah, well, I was going to were you inspired to do this or were you, it was more like um, out of necessity or did, was it, um, what was the event that made you think, oh, should I, I'm going to do this? Or reach out at least to my Facebook. Yeah, I, I saw the post. I'm sure a few people saw it. There was an, a, a picture of an elderly gentleman in a supermarket and he was stood next to the, the toilet roll aisle and it was completely empty. And you could see that he looked distraught on the picture. And I just I just got to thinking that that's probably the one time a week he goes out to get his essential supplies. Mm. It's not easy to get to a supermarket if you don't live nearby. Um, and it just really upset me because I thought, you know, my granny's 89 and if she didn't have my stepdad, there's no way that she would be able to walk to the supermarket. And then I was imagining if she got there and then all the things that she needed weren't there, mm. what what would she do? Um, and I think that even though everybody was scared, I also noticed a real rise in people feeling helpless but wanting to help. Um, so I thought that was a unique opportunity. It was almost like the perfect storm where people were displaced, feeling helpless, 
that wanted to give back. So I guess it was like more of a call to arms, you know, who's who's available. Well, people had more time to give back to. Yeah. Well, I think that because people, yeah, had been displaced from roles and contracts were being pulled left, right and centre and people were being furloughed. Yeah, there was um, a unique situation where there were highly skilled people that weren't working, that were able to use their skill set for good. So just, I mean, that's p- probably part of the evolution of it, but like on day three, yeah, maybe you just step step us out as to how you did the shout out on Facebook. I mean, why did you do, What, what again, tell me about the Facebook community that yeah. you sent out to shout out to. Mm-hmm. Tell me what did you put on Facebook yeah. and what response did you get and what was the purpose at, at, at that time? What were you trying to elicit from everybody? Yeah, so um, just previous to me being in Spain, so the end of last year, I was fortunate enough to get into a tech accelerator program for female founders um, called She Starts, which is part of Blue Chile. And again, 800 people applied and they selected eight female founders. So I did a, um, a six-month intensive course learning how to utilize tools and how to build relationships and how to approach building a tech startup. So I learned a lot about validation, user research, the importance of building out your user journey, um, testing the prototype, what's the problem you're trying to solve, and also the different tools like Asana, Airtasker, Miro Boards, Figma. So I was very fortunate to have that training at the end of last year. So you've done this course and you sort of know what the all the hallmarks of starting something up yeah are, and you've had a, and you've had a bit of first-hand experience um then day three you think to yourself i'm going to shout out to my facebook group so what's that what's that startup facebook group? so it's called sydney startups sydney startups yep. um and i'd been a long time kind of um spectator <laughs> yeah just observing <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly yeah, just right. watching yeah that, Ex- well that's always good to do don't worry about that yes yeah, so i was observing and then um i'd noticed there was a lot of talk about um you know covid's happening we are a group of experts like who's got any ideas so i started to feed back into this chat and said what about an, a solution where we connect local people that can drive a car to deliver groceries to people that need it and that was my original idea um, and a lady commented on it and said, that's a great idea. Why don't you do it? And I just like didn't really have an answer to say, I don't know. Like, I don't want to do it. I was like, actually, I'm sat here in Spain. I've just got a phone call that I've lost my last PR client. I've just come out of this accelerator program. Why don't I do it? So I said, OK, I'm going to do it. And then I did a post that basically just said, I've had an idea for a startup, a platform that connects people and communities to help one another. Who's in? Like, let's do it. Let's do a hackathon. Um, you know, let's mm. have 24 hours where we see what we can do. And I couldn't believe it. Like, honestly, overnight, 50 people DM'd me on Facebook. Um, and I set up a type form as well. So the type form that I set up was um, understanding what the skill set was, what how much time they had and, and why they wanted to be involved in it. So I could understand how invested they were. And then, yeah, over the next 24 to 48 hours, all of a sudden we had... Um, Figma wireframe. We had our user journeys fleshed out. We'd already conducted over 60 user interviews on both sides of the marketplace. So we came up with the solution of a marketplace where we connected people that wanted to offer assistance with people that needed assistance, basically, um, so we could connect them. Can, can I, I need to ask a question. So you've created a marketplace of um, supplier and demand. Yeah. You've got your supply or people who've got time to help and you've spreadsheeted that somehow, um, and you've you know you've got the skills and you know times available, I guess, and mm. that's your supply side. But um, on that Facebook 
on uh, Sydney Startup Facebook. Yeah. Was the demand side there too? Were they following this? Like how, how did you sort of assess the demand side? In other words, I'm a little old man. I'd like someone to help me pick up my groceries on yeah. Sunday afternoon. Like, I mean, how, how'd you do that? So I quite quickly with my PR background um, knew that I needed to set up kind of a hub or like a centralised location. So I set up a Facebook page and the original name for the startup was Good Neighbours. So I set up um, a promoted Facebook post in the wall that said we're looking to speak to people who may need assistance, you know, in the current situation in the current pandemic um please reach out you know if you'd like to chat and we we got over 60 people reaching out to the, the link was basically again to a type form yeah um, that reached out to say you know we do need help and we're happy to help you in any way um so we did 50 percent phone calls 50 percent surveys and so uh, from this research you saw there's a marketplace where you could match supply and demand yeah and your name was wasn't called one another community was something else it was good neighbors good and neighbors. then i did the research into um trademarking the name so i set up the business as a social enterprise for profit yep. because we wanted to build a scalable self-sustainable model um that was that was investable as well um so when i started thinking about another name it, i'd love to say we did a brand workshop and we figured it all out but i literally used the neighbors theme tune <laughs> so um, i just like thought oh, good neighbors i love that name so much and the next line in that is are there for one another. So I just thought one another was kind of the perfect way to summarise who we are, what we want to do, and that, yeah, the, the problem that we're trying to solve. So off the back of COVID, and you know, somebody said there's a great pivot, but you've lost your PR clients during this period. But probably at the time you thought, well, this could last forever. How do I know? Yeah, exactly. Um, you don't know on you. Um, you've set up a for-profit, and you, you use an important word, investable, Social enterprise. That's right. And the way you execute is you you create a marketplace. Obviously, all this is online. You create a marketplace matching um, supply of services, which are people, with the service to the demand for those who need it. So I want to talk to you about how did you curate the services that are being offered and how do you curate that relative to the demand? So I want to know how you did that sort of stuff. I mean, and I, I, I want to understand the business model because it's for profit it's not not a not for profit it's a for profit that's right so we're trying to work out how you make money out of this yeah so we'll go to the break we'll come back and uh, we'll talk about this hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little so naturally when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you that's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mm-hmm. 
So I'm back from the break. I'm here with Lisa Hollingshead, and she's the founder of a business called One Another Community, which is sort of a marketplace online platform matching people who can help out those who are in need, um, maybe through spare time or whatever, but it's for profit. Um, it's not a not-for-profit. It's a for-profit social enterprise. And it also born out of um, her sitting there with her granny and her and her mum um, and her little boy in Spain during the lockdown period in March this year, which was would have been a pretty horrendous period. Um, and I, I, I got asked, Elisa, um, when you say it's for profit, mm. how do you make money out of it? <laughs> it's a really good question. And obviously um, building any business, we need to look at, is it sustainable? You know, can it run itself? And we've been really fortunate to have been built by 100% pro bono work from skilled professionals. So just explain what pro, not everybody knows what pro bono means. <laughs> using my jargon. I normally hate using jargon as well. <laughs> so uh, pro bono basically means that you're doing your, um, the doing, doing the work in kind. Hmm. Um, so you're not charging for that work. Yeah, um, it's a freebie. It's a freebie, yeah. yeah. And that's one thing that it's interesting you say that because I never wanted to fall into um, the perception that one another was built on free labour mm. because that's not what it's about. It's about people who want to give back and they might not necessarily want to um, do a gold coin donation or do a fundraiser, um, but they have this amazing skill set that gets charged out at a very high rate. You know, there's a lot of charities, not-for-profits, new business startups can, can't afford so yeah, I definitely wanted to steer away from that. So we have um, a feature within the platform that we're building where we want to reward people that are doing good neighbourly deeds uh, beyond that of intrinsic reward. Um, so we're actually um, developing a good neighbour badge functionality whereby if you do a good neighbourly deed, um, you can get a good neighbour badge. And the more badges that you collect, you can unlock rewards from sponsors. So say, for example, a big supermarket might sponsor five good neighbour badges um, and provide a 15% discount at point of sale. Or they might reward, a cinema chain might reward um, 20 good neighbour badges with a free access to their premium cinema experience. So essentially what we're creating is um, an opportunity for brands to connect with members of the public that are doing good within the community but it's also an advertising opportunity for them to either promote, you know, specific products or to drive people, to drive footfall. Into so is your business model, Lisa, um, uh, building a big audience and then selling in, let's just call it sponsorship, to, to, like I, I might be a cinema. Mm. I'm trying to attract people to come back to the movies. And um, one way I might be able to do that is actually advertise on your website, the One Another Community website. Because um, I just forget about the um, Good Neighbour Awards or whatever that thing is, that the badge. Um, but I might just advertise it because I just know that my community looks at your stuff and they look at your stuff because they think someone's doing good, you know. Yeah. Is that is that your business model? It, that is for phase one. So what we've created now is the marketplace of members of community helping one another and being rewarded by brands. That's the next phase. But I don't want it to become um, a place where people feel like they're being sold to constantly. Like mm. that's not what I want it to be. I want to limit the number of badge rewards and only align with brands that 
that whose values align with one another as well. Um, and the next phase of the platform, we're essentially recreating what we did with one another. So we're connecting highly skilled pro bono professionals with organizations and charities and not-for-profits that need assistance in a specific area. So looking at how one another was built in such an incredible way, in kind, creating a second version of the marketplace that connects those professionals that want to give back in a way that they're able to. So I'm a lawyer in Mossman. Yeah. Okay, let's say that. Um, you've got a little legal practice there. I do all sorts of you know, conveyancing and local stuff, help people with their DA applications, whatever it is. How would I engage with one another community? And I've got a spare time, by the way. Yeah, you've so got, got a spare, spare time. time. Yep. And I really want to give back. Yeah. So we do have a function on the current platform where you can offer pro bono support. Um, so you could log on to one another and post a offer of assistance. And you could say, I'm a lawyer in Mossman. Mm-hmm. Um, I have five hours a week that I'd like to dedicate to a cause or a person um, that, that needs that support. Let me know the details and we can connect. Then people can then go onto the marketplace, onto the dashboard, search for offers of assistance and they can um, also increase or decrease that search function so they can say i just want to look for people that are offering pro bono hours and then they'll be served people in that area that are offering pro bono support and then they'll also in the next iteration be able to drill that down to industry so whether right. it's legal or pr yeah. or ux um and then the app in the same way that it connects members of the community with one another it opens up a messenger app um, where you can chat in the messenger app that's completely secure that you can leave at any time if you feel uncomfortable with the exchange or no longer want to proceed. And then you connect and then you you complete the task. And 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 apart from me being a good a good citizen, um, yep. is there anything else in it for me, the, the, the lawyer and Mossman by way of example? We found, we've, we're doing some user research currently with CSR managers, so corporate social responsibility mm-hmm. managers um, for, for big organisations. Yeah, they've all got one. Yeah, exactly. And they've, got, and they've got big budgets too. They do. Um, so we're currently speaking with them to understand what is their current problem um, that needs to be solved. You know, uh, do they have a workforce that want to give back and want to give pro bono hours, but don't know where to start? You know, the main problem that we found when we did the research in the beginning is that people want to help, people want to volunteer, they just don't know how to go about it. And when they do find an opportunity, obviously like, it can be quite laborious, you know, they, mm. it can be quite intense and people disengage before they get to the point of helping people. It gets too hard. Yeah, it's, it's too hard basket. Put it in a too hard mm-hmm. basket and walk away. Um, so what one another is trying to do is to make it easier for people to help one another without all the different, you know, red tape that, that that's all around it. Yeah, because I mean, like, let's say you're a, I mean, a, I just think of a good example. You're a financial planner and um, and somebody, and you want to offer some free time, uh, some of your time pro bono to someone who might need some advice on financial planning. And, uh, but the, they come along to you and they, the first thing a financial planner's got to do, not to breach the license requirements, is they've got to ask you a whole lot of questions. They've got to spend hours within it. Next thing you know, this is really, someone's got a really complicated setup, and they've spent they've allocated five hours and they're spending ten hours. Yeah, because of the regulatory environment, they're required to do much more than they ever ever expected. The next thing you know, they've got a client there, one who spent double the amount of time on, two probably hasn't got that much money to invest anyway. Um, and uh, has high expectations in terms of returns. Yep. And then something goes wrong, so the share market, they might say buy BHP and Westpac and CBA or something. Yep. And let's say the share market, for no reason, no no fault of the advisors at all, the share market goes down a bit. The next thing you know, the client's really unhappy. Um, they're not really a client. I guess they are a client, though. So you, 
it, that that stuff's pretty difficult. How do you do? You, do you have do you have to monitor this? And do you, I mean, you, you facilitate it. Mm-hmm. The, the website facilitates yeah. it, but do you have to um, somehow monitor these things? At the moment, we have um, obviously community guidelines, and we've got terms and conditions of using the site. Um, as I mentioned, we've got the messenger service, so people can have a chat before they commit. You know, to actually completing the yep. the offer or request of assistance, so they can try and understand more readily what's required to determine. Yep. You know, if they have got the time to give it. But we do um, ask that people obviously conduct due diligence as they would do with, with any client. What we're looking to do with the next iteration is actually to have a dashboard so say for example whether you're a, a lawyer in Mossman or you're a CSR manager at somewhere like Deloitte for example you actually come into a dashboard and you can see how many connections have taken place and um, how many members of your organization have offered pro bono support how many have been completed how many have not you know have, have, have got a high bounce rate you know where they've connected but then they've disengaged so we're looking to actually have insight driven dashboards so that those corporate social responsibility managers or lawyer from Mossman can actually see the value that it's bringing as well and it just ensures accountability and transparency as well because there's a lot of people within organizations that don't want to do a fundraiser that don't want to do the gold coin but they are experts in their field and they're more than happy you know to dedicate one percent of their time to give back to community focused organizations or charities that need that support and it's about rather than donating to charity saving people money. So it's yeah. making a pledge, you know. And also it's not coming out of your pocket, it's just coming out of your, your sweat. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, mean, a lot of people don't want to – we're, we're hit too many times about, oh, can you give me money? Can you give me you – know, I'm, I'm a good example. I'm mean, going to get hit all the time for money. And I just go, no, I'm, I'm done. I'm not doing any more money. Yeah. Like, uh, But, like, in terms of time, maybe, I don't know, for whatever the reason is, it's it's easier to justify giving you someone some time yeah, or, or intellect than yeah. – um, or sweat than it is um, just keep – unload money out of your bank account all the time. Absolutely. And I think there is a quote out there. I can never remember it exactly, but it's something on the lines of very often the person offering the assistance receives more reward than the person they're giving it to. You know, that intrinsic reward that you get when you're helping someone is so valuable and it's great for mental health. You know, it's great for um, so many different things. And I think now more than ever, people are becoming aware of the value of being selfless, you know, and, and helping somebody else. Like I've, with my PR agency, I've always given five hours pro bono work a week to organizations that I believe in because yes, I want to help people. Absolutely. But Honestly, it makes me feel good. <laughs> you know, I really like the fact and seeing that if I give someone, you know, five hours worth of pitching a week and they get a great piece, you know, on um, the Today Show or, you know, uh, Sunrise, that really rewards me intrinsically. And I think there's something in that for the next iteration of one another, that there's a workforce of people that want to give back. And the money that it could potentially save organisations is endless, really, and that's what excites me. And the value you can offer. Can I, can I do you think that um, the whole COVID pandemic, et cetera, um, has created a new humanity um, and that people are thinking this way more in a more refined way, more articulated way? Without a shadow of a doubt. I think it's safe to say that recent events have woken up a desire in many to give back. Where do you think that comes from? Like, what, what is that? I mean, is there our appreciation of how lucky we are for some reason? I don't know. I mean, I, I'm thinking of how lucky I'm being as someone living in Sydney as opposed to Melbourne. I mean, I really do. I thought about it this morning. I was listening to someone talking on the radio about their life in Melbourne and I thought, wow, I'm so lucky. Mm. I mean, I, I'm, st- I'm starting to see 
stark differences between my life and other people's lives. Is that yeah. across the board? Are you seeing it? I think so. Um, I think with the pandemic, it's really brought to the fore um, people's vulnerability. And I think, you know, when you hear about things happening in other countries or to people that are in a different socioeconomic group to you or across a border from you, it's very hard for people to actually stop and think and relate. You know, it's kind of like out of sight, out of mind. And this is just my opinion. I just feel that because it's so close to home, it's awoken, um, yeah, a an awareness in people that um, we need to look after one another um, and we need to give back. And we are in a very fortunate position where we are able to. And I think sometimes, it's slightly unfortunate as it is, when it's on your doorstep, when it stands to affect those that you love, you're going to act more readily, you're going to act more aggressively. It's primal, isn't it? You want to protect the ones that you love. And if that means also reaching out to help others in the same situation, then you're going to be motivated to do that. So your business premise is sort of based upon that, I mean, to a large extent. Yeah. When COVID's over, do you think people will go back to their old ways? I mean, the positive side of me um, definitely thinks that that won't be the case. I think that it's, we talk about the new normal, don't we? You know, permanent like, change. Yeah, yeah, okay, I think so. Normal, but let's call it permanent change. <laughs> yeah, so we're going to call it permanent change. And I think that, that people want to feel like they have a sense of purpose now and if there's something that they can do they will and we've always whenever we've been looking at our business model and and, and looking at you know our two-year five-year plan one another was never built as a covid solution it was built as a long-term solution to the loneliness epidemic which is rife across australia you know there's a stat out there um that states that loneliness can be as detrimental to your health as smoking and drinking you know, and that's mm. pretty confronting. And most of the suicides in the country areas, yeah, it's huge relative as a percentage relative to the rest of the place. Oh, it's it's unbelievable. And I would say that one another was built not as a, a solution to COVID, um, as a solution to um, what COVID had caused. You know, like the solution for COVID was to lock us away, you know, and to, to keep us away from one another. But as a result of that, it's created so many other problems socially, economically, um, so one another is 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 to combat that. And those issues were there already. They're just massively magnified because we've been put in this situation. And when we don't have something, we all of a sudden appreciate it. And what, what the governments have done is taken away something from us that we always took for, for granted. Yeah. And, uh, and it's not just meant to go to the supermarket, but it's meant to go and visit your grand, your father who's 80, my father who lived on the other side of Sydney. I couldn't go and visit him for a while. Your granny or whatever. Yeah. Uh, the are things that all of a sudden they become important to us. And I would argue that the loneliness experienced as a result of being locked away is far more detrimental, you know, to the, the, those people than, than you know, the, the chance that they might get COVID. And I understand that we've got to rally around and we've got to protect those that are vulnerable, which is why I created One Another Community. Um, but there is a part of me that feels like that we also need to be able to go on living with this in our world and protect those that are at most at risk. Because, um, yeah, we need to learn to live with it. Because like you said, it's, it's, it's not the new normal. What did you say it is? It's a permanent change. That's the one, It's yeah. a permanent change. Yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's permanent. I think it is. Yeah. Um, a per- permanent change of state of mind too. Our states of mind as to what's important is permanently changed, yeah. I think. I agree. Our generation. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing with one another as well. You know, when you talk about the future and is it just a COVID solution, in an in a ideal world, I'm working towards one another being a platform where, say, for example, my granny was alone in Spain. 
I could put my granny's address in Spain and I could post a call out to that community in Spain and say, my granny's 89, she can't make it to the shops. She's hurt a hip or, you know, she's not feeling very well. Is anybody there that can help her? You know, mm. and it's um, it becomes this worldwide kindness platform where you call on people to just be there for one another. And that's why I created it. Because, yeah, I was in Spain when it happened. I got to see it firsthand um, and see how frightening it is. How far has it gone so far? Like, what's your membership? Where are you, where are you at? With it yeah, all? so um, we actually, we, because we were built on a volunteer basis, we had a lot of roadblocks along the way. And we found that working with the team of developers um, on a volunteer basis, kind of, we were taking two steps forward, then we were taking five steps back and the code was getting broken that was already finalised. So it ended up taking us five months to get the platform to a point where we were happy to have it live. That's quick, but anyway. It's not um, slow. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah, I, I mean, it's incredible when it's all volunteer-driven. Mm. But yeah, it launched four weeks ago. Um, and when I say it launched, it was very much a soft launch. So for those that don't know what a soft launch is, we didn't do the big bang, you know, we are here. There yeah. wasn't a big PR push behind it. We launched it in the Northern Beaches, um, just so because that's where I'm from, mm -hmm. in Sydney. And um, we just did some community outreach. So we partnered with Community Northern Beaches and Goodwill Hunting Co. So they could let their uh, members know that they um, they were backing it, you know, so to work with respected organisations. And that with James Griffin, who's the oh, MP. Yeah, the Manly. Yeah, for Manly. Yeah, know, James, yeah. Um, and he he really got behind it, which yeah. was wonderful. He's a, good guy. he's a really good guy. And he was so He's Minister for Veteran Affairs or something. Um yeah, that's right. Yeah. He's actually just the way that he's gone into the community and turned it around and just brought it together is incredible. So he was the perfect person to speak to mm. and he really loves what we're doing and is backing it and connected me with Manly Rotary. Um and we're now at a point now where we're actually launching this week. Right. Um so, um, oh, so you're just launching. Exactly right. Yeah. So we've got we've already got 500 people on there and there's connections happening every day. And we've just introduced the notes of gratitude function as well. Um, so we're calling on people to just say thank you to people that have put a smile on their face. And we're working with a lot of the social kindness Facebook pages across Australia. So there's viral kindness and the kindness pandemic. So yeah, say thank you to the people that have helped make those groups a reality. So, so you've built you've built a, um, a total marketplace. Yeah. through um, volunteer yeah. time. Yeah, it's a, it's a really nice way in which that we've had all these incredible people come together to build this platform. We haven't, the only pen money that I've spent is to register the business, the hosting fee, um, and we have to pay a fee. Um, the app was created using Bubble, which is a really great piece of tech where you don't need code to build an app. You need to understand workflows and you need to ideally have a developer work on it that understands how you piece it together. But yeah, to create something that actually works and does the job that we wanted it to do is incredible. And that's what we want to replicate with the platform for other people to take advantage of kindness as well. It's a, it's a great social enterprise. It's a very clever idea. It's really tapped into um, where our, our heads are going um, in terms of trying to help out, out others who are less fortunate only because we're now much more aware of what that means. Whereas before we were always on our thing and we really didn't think about anything else because we just thought we're about what we're doing and uh, we've had some time to think and some time to compare. Mm -hmm. So if I was, uh, if I'm going to give you an opportunity. Do you have a question for me? Do you want to ask me something? Yeah, definitely. So um, when I kind of like breezed over a little bit when we had the team of developers that were developing the app and we had obviously all these beautiful um, designs in Figma um, of which are the wireframes of what it was going to look like. And I was so close to the platform I could touch it. But after four months of taking two steps forward and five steps back, 
I had to just keep pushing forward. But there were times when there were tears. You know, I was so, I wasn't frustrated because people were giving their time, but it was striking that balance between having accountability for people, being thankful, but wanting to have a product that helps people because that's what I've driven to do. Has there been a point in your career, you know, where there's been a massive roadblock or you felt that you're not going to be able to move forward with it? And what was it that drove you to keep going and, and how did you overcome it? I've had plenty of those. Um, <laughs> usually in my my game, it's, it's about capital, not knowing where the capital is going to come from or not being able to justify putting more money into something yeah. um, for further development. Um, and the way I overcome these things is generally speaking, I look at what originally why I started the thing in the first place, um, what was my original idea, Yeah, which is what, you've got a great purpose and it'd be hard to put your purpose into a couple of words, but ultimately you're just helping people. So helping people all sides, both sides, both the, you help the people on the supply side and you help the people on the demand side because the people on the supply side actually want to get a buzz out of doing something yeah, good. Yeah, helping so you, people to be good. <laughs> yeah, so I keep going back. So when I can't work out how to do a how, how to do something, it could be how to get the thing up and running, just kick it off, you know, after I spend all this time and effort, you know, like I'm getting frustrated, roadblocks, et cetera. When I can't work out how to do something, what do I do? Well, I work out why I'm doing something. Yeah. So I, I go from how back to why, and why just gives me a bit of a, a bit of a chance to uh, think. Okay, I've got to do this. I think. I think also too, what's really important is that you've got to give yourself a rest, um, because you get really tired. Just when we can't work out how to do something, a lot of times I think it's because we're just tired. We're just sleep deprived or um, yeah. just worn out. You get worn out. This stuff because it requires energy. Absolutely. It requires you to speak fast, talk fast, think fast, act fast, uh, and move sideways, it liter- not literally, but within a business environment. And that stuff just saps your energy. If I said to you today, um, I want you to go down to the gym and I'm going to, I want you to sprint that way, sprint that way, sprint to the left, sprint to the right, <laughs> um, go diagonally, um, do chin ups, do push ups, do sit ups. And, I, and you just keep doing that all day. Mm. Eventually you're going to be completely stuffed and you won't be able to do anything. Yeah. And that, that, that happens to our brain. Absolutely. And our brain, and, and when I don't know how to do something, generally speaking, it's because my brain is cooked. I'm cooked. And I find two things that I do. I make sure I give myself a break. It might only be for a day or two. Do nothing. Or do some, go for a walk. I mean, nature's a big thing. But go, for, go for a walk along the beach or, go, you know, go somewhere and then think about why you're doing this. Yeah. And it's so funny you say that because I do feel like COVID has forced people to stop. And that's one thing that I took from COVID is that when I, I lost all my PR clients, I was able to, you know, get up in the morning and yes, I would have this startup, but I could go for a walk on the beach. And mm. the best thing I've ever done is, and I've only done it in the last three months really, is make sure in the morning I have a routine that's non-negotiable. Mm. You need to have like things that fill up your cup, <laughs> you know, at the beginning of the day. So you'll spoil. Yeah, exactly. So that you can, you can then, you've got something to give. Mm. You know, you can't run on empty, like you say. Mm. And I just think founder burnout is just so rife because they think that they've just got to keep on going. And it's like you're no use to anyone if, you, like you said, you're flat. If you burn out, what can you give? Well, I think there's also a perception, a dumb perception out there that people who are successful in startups are like a machine and that, oh, I've got to be that way because look at this person. Look yeah. at her go. Look at her go. She's blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but like people look at me. Like I, I, I take breaks. Yeah. I, I have breaks. And like you said, I mean, I make sure I spoil myself. I get up earlier so i got more time in the morning yeah, to give myself some time. I mean, people might say I want to sleep, that's fine. But for me, I'd rather be awake and consciously giving myself a spoil. Yeah. Breakfast, gym, walk, dog, blah, yeah. blah, blah. They're things that belong to me. Yeah. No phone. Yeah. You know, like 
Forget the phone. Um, so you've got to do these things. You've got to spoil yourself. And anyone who's listening out there, sure, when I'm on it, I'm on it. But the rest of the time, I'm actually trying to find myself an opportunity to get off it. Yeah. And so you've got to do that. That's really important. And because uh, I don't know anybody who's doing 17, 18 hours a day on it the whole time because that's just bullshit. can't do it. You know, I think there's so many people that, that, that take pride in being busy. You know, I'm so busy. And it's like, well, what's that proving to anybody? Mm. You know, it isn't a badge of honor. You know, when people ask you how you, ha- how you are, you should be content. You should be happy motivated. Yeah, and I, I don't want everybody, <laughs> from my point of view anyway, I don't want everyone to think, oh, this is Mark talking about life balance, life work balance. That's all bullshit. It's just about, you don't you don't say, oh, I've got to get a balance. No, you can't find a balance. There's no such thing. <laughs> but but you you just got to make sure you take time out yep. whenever it is. Whether it's with your, in your case with Albie, whether it's me with my dog or just yep. hanging out with a mate, having breakfast, something like that. You just got to, you got to keep backfilling these timeouts. Yeah. You've got to say, okay, shit, I better give myself a break here. Otherwise, you will burn out. And when you burn out, you can't ever work out how to fix something nope. or how to do something or how to execute on something. Yeah. Lisa, really nice to meet you. Nice and to it's, meet you it's great. It's a great social enterprise. I, I like the, the business angle of it too. I can see it actually being very appealing. I wish you all the very best. Um, you've only started off small, and I know you're just sort of trying it out on the northern yeah. beaches at the moment, but I can see this, I can see this taking off. Oh, Not only you. here and other places, so good luck to you. Thank you so much. Fingers crossed. <laughs> so nice to meet you.